I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Batman Begins and Howard the Duck episodes, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, on today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were Batman Year One, uh, Batman issues 455 to 457, and Batman Shadow of the Bat issues 16 to 18. But before any of that, Let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. So we actually mentioned her in a list of three actresses on a previous minisode, but it appears that Fox are going to go ahead and offer the female lead in Gambit to Leah Seydoux. Um, if the deal is completed, the blue is the warmest colour actress, and soon-to-be Bond girl, actually, will play Belladonna Boudreaux, who on the page has the powers of astral projection and plasma blasts. Uh, Michael Shannon has revealed more about his role in Batman v Superman in an interview with Vulture, um, kind of accidentally while telling an anecdote about how he got stuck in a toilet on set. Um, Apparently he's wearing some kind of flippers on his hands, which made him unable to get out of the locked toilet. Um, And the current rumour has Zod's corpse being reanimated, leading to the eventual creation of Doomsday, who may or may not, but probably will be the villain that our two warring heroes have to unite against in the final act. ABC took its sweet time, but they have finally ordered a pilot for the previously assumed dead, Marvel's Most Wanted, which is the new name for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spin-off, which is set to focus on Adrian Palicki's Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird, and Nick Blood's fellow agent, Lance Hunter. For me, Palicki was probably the best thing about the second season of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Blood's best scenes are pretty much the ones that he shares with her. So, if they are going to spin off any characters... They probably picked the right ones. Um, obviously, this still has to get past the pilot stage, um, but it's good news for the show, which previously had been passed up on. The worry is that it will weaken a show that is spinning off from, which kind of doesn't have much room to be weakened as is. But it can't hurt to be optimistic about a new show with Adrian Palicki in the lead, even if I kind of wish that instead they just go ahead and put her in the movies. Uh, We do also now know a lot more about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3, thanks to a newly released synopsis. 
To quote that, it says, New friends, both friend and foe, will join the series, including the no-nonsense, highly skilled and somewhat mysterious leader of the ATKU, which is the Advanced Threat Containment Unit. Uh, she'll be played by Constance Zimmer. Um, her intimidating partner, Banks, played by Andrew Howard. Lash, uh, a monstrous inhuman whose loyalties remain ambiguous. He'll be played by Matthew Willig. And a new inhuman, Joey, played by Juan Pablo Raba, who is struggling to harness his newfound abilities among other surprising characters. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Um, and I think we'll kick things off with James's recommendation, uh, which um, was the obvious one, apparently, which is Batman Year One from Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. Um And reading this, um, it's surprising that actually this is the oldest of the three comics that that were recommended um so this um i think as james explained on on the main episode was actually part of the main batman series uh it was originally published in four parts but now it's kind of just known uh in four issues of batman and now it's kind of just best known as batman year one um uh like in in graphic novel form but it actually is split into four um and yeah, it, it feels it feels a lot more modern actually than the other two comics, which come in I think nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety three. Um, those were Seb's recommendations. Um, and just reading this, I mean, it probably helps that it, I actually went out and bought um, the physical copy of this, and it probably helps that it's been given nice glossy page treatment and probably presented in as. Uh, good a form as you're you're ever likely to see the the graphic novel actually is it's about maybe two thirds are the actual issues and then there's loads of like ad- additional little storyboards and scripts and um, different versions of drawings in the back. Um, uh, it's it's a re- it's a really nice presentation um, and something that I really really enjoyed reading. Um, and so the story basically. Um, it's Frank Miller in the eighties reimagining um, the the Batman origin story, um, and there is an introduction from Denny O'Neill which kind of talks about how at the time DC were trying to reboot their most popular characters, which were Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and that Superman and Batman kind of got fresh origin stories, um, and I believe one of those was the Man of Steel, one of the previous podcast recommendations. Um, but Batman kind of hadn't aged as badly as those two other characters, and so the DC decided that rather than change his origin, they they could just improve it slightly and kind of give it more depth, complexity, and context. And so Frank Miller, who had worked on The Dark Knight Returns already and gone off uh, with Marvel and done a very successful re-origin story for Daredevil, um, again, a previous recommendation on this podcast. Um, and so he was brought in. And rather than draw it himself this time, he brought in David Mazzucchelli for the visuals. Yet yeah, this comic looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, James talked about Mazzucchelli as being one of the kind of like definitive, iconic Batman artists. Um, and I can completely see that here. He just, the, the way he uses shadows to draw the character makes him, he never looks silly. And I think especially... Back when he's wearing this grey costume, he he has a little bit more potential to look silly and look out of place. And I think he has done on some of the on the pages some of the comics I've read before. Um, here he just looks 
um, brilliant every time he appears. Um, there's one really great image when he is, he kind of infiltrates this this mansion where all the rich elite of Gotham are um, a gathering, and um, it's just Batman appearing in this smoky, exploded wall, saying, "Ladies, gentlemen, you have eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit. Your feast is nearly over. From this moment on, none of you are safe." And then he puts out the light and leaves. And there's this great shot of him appearing, but then also this great shot of kind of the shadow almost casting, um, like a shadow under his nose, which looks like he's got a little moustache and a bit of, bit of a goatee almost. And I'm not sure, but it looks, it looks to me like it's referencing Zorro, which I think to go back to Batman Year One and then make that kind of reference is, uh, is very cool and appropriate. So I like that. Um, but basically, so this this four issue story kind of unfolds over the course of a year with Bruce Wayne arriving back in Gotham City after 12 years away, I think kind of in his mid 20s. And also a kind of more grizzled older cop, Jim Gordon, arriving in Gotham City for kind of a second chance. Um, something bad had happened at his previous job. So he's arrived in Gotham with his wife, Barbara Gordon, who is pregnant. Their kind of arrival back in the city uh, coincides with each other and the comic follows the both of them over the course of a year basically up until the point where the two uh, can unite and Jim Gordon is happy enough with Batman to put up a bat symbol um, and kind of work together with him uh, but obviously over the course of these four issues it, it doesn't start out as that because if you've got a vigilante going around uh, beating up criminals in the city the police um, are going to be sceptical of him um, and interestingly, in this in this comic where kind of most of the police are corrupt, the rest of them want to take out Batman because he is um, compromising their kind of illegal activities, whereas Gordon is just sceptical that this guy is operating outside of the law um, and he is battling hard with these corrupt cops to uphold the law. And actually, I was surprised by quite how heavily this focuses on Jim Gordon, for the first couple of issues at least, because Batman... Uh, there, there really isn't Batman. There's Bruce Wayne going out and trying to be a vigilante in the first issue, but Batman doesn't appear as an image until right at the end of the first, start of the second issue, when Batman remembers the bats that frightened him as a kid and that he could use them as a... Bruce Wayne remembers that anyway, and that he could use the bat as a symbol. Um, and so Batman's not really a presence until the second issue. And even then, it, the, the whole story seems to focus a little bit more on Jim Gordon because he is more embroiled down on the street level with all of the horrible stuff going on in Gotham. And um, I tweeted this out on the Cinematic Universe uh, Twitter account yesterday, but Jim Gordon in this guise looks just like Walter White at the start of Breaking Bad. He's got the glasses and the moustache and the world-weary uh, but kind of badass vibe to him. At the, at the end of the first issue, the cops who have kind of identified that this new guy isn't as easy to bend as they would like take him out into the woods and beat him up. And so his response is just to go back to that guy's house, beat the crap out of him in return and tie him up and leave him in the middle of the woods naked to kind of humiliate him so that he won't say that Gordon did it, but also to show him, look, I'm not a guy that's going to be that easily messed with. All I'm saying is that if DC do eventually want a Jim Gordon in their movies, who knows, maybe he's dead already in this Batman v Superman universe. But if he's not, cast Brian Cranston. That would be great. Everyone's talking about him as Lex Luthor. And um, I think it's easy to forget how 
likeable Brian Cranston can be. I was re-watching Drive last week and he's got that... He's an idiot. He's kind of like a hapless idiot in that film, but he is such a tragic, likeable figure. Um, and he can play the kind of put-upon schmuck as much as he can play the badass. And I think there's something about Gordon that kind of combines those two, especially in this comic. And, and genuinely, he really he really does have a kind of Brian Cranston, Walter White vibe in these uh, on the pages of Year One. Uh, so that's my that's my casting suggestion, Zack Snyder. If you ever get around to it, maybe just in flashback, that'd be cool. So yeah, the 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 comic kind of builds in the first two issues towards Batman coming and being a force, and and uh, Jim Gordon going against him, um, until um, an altercation between the two forces Batman into a building, which then the corrupt cops and, and the corrupt mayor of the city. Uh, and the corrupt uh, police commissioner decide to blow up the building to try and kill Batman. Um, and the third, the third issue of Year One, actually, I'm sure this would have come to mind at the time when watching Daredevil, um, if I'd have read it. The third issue is kind of Batman trapped inside this building where he's kind of been, um, I wouldn't say betrayed, but he's been kind of like forced into a corner by the by the villainous characters, and he's stuck in this building trying to get out while all the bad guys are waiting to kill him. And it's also kind of playing out in the media, where the media aren't sure whether this Batman guy is good yet or not. There's there's also some interactions with Selina Kyle as Catwoman, and there's a cat running around that belongs to her in this issue, and it kind of inspires her to become Catwoman. Um, it never plays hugely into this, and I, and I wasn't really sure why Catwoman was the character who was playing a part in Batman's origin. I'm sure that I'm sure that there were other little references here and there that I didn't really understand. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were references to other characters. Oh, Harvey Dent is there as Two Face as well, but kind of as well not as Two Face as a as a good guy is still a good DA. His presence made a lot more sense to me when you've got a vigilante and a cop both trying to fix this city and both going around it through different means and he is kind of like the middle ground between them but I wasn't quite sure about Selina Kyle so anyway the third issue kind of focuses on Batman getting out of that situation and then the fourth issue is the kind of the bad guys turning their attention onto Gordon trying to take him out um, and uh, Gordon is kind of having some kind of I think unconsummated affair with um, a colleague uh, which he eventually tells his wife about because he gets blackmailed by his colleagues to pretty much step off or they'll tell his wife and um, that's that's also a really interesting side of this that you've got Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This guy is trying to be good, but it's compromising everything about his uh, personal life. And it, and it does end with the bad guys coming for Gordon, coming for his wife and his child, and Batman, but not as Batman, as Bruce Wayne, going and saving the child when it's dropped off a bridge. And the issue kind of ends with Jim Gordon, without his glasses, walking up and taking the child off of this unmasked Bruce Wayne. And he says, you know, I'm practically blind without my glasses. Siren's coming. You'd better go. And then the next page, we kind of cut to it, it being the December of this year one where Gordon is now at the place where he trusts Batman. So the the intimation is that that he knows it's Bruce Wayne and he had been investigating Bruce Wayne during the the course of this comic. He kind of his suspicion falls on Dent and on Bruce Wayne. And he um there is also the hint towards um the villain a villain calling himself the Joker who is in the city which is uh, very reminiscent of the the final scene of um, Batman Begins, I assume that was a... The final scene of Batman Begins was a reference to this. Um, but yeah, so you, you kind of get the impression that, yes, Gordon probably knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman and pro- and that, that interaction with Bruce Wayne was what came to trust him. But the fact that he doesn't have his glasses on, that he's wet and has rain in his eyes, that maybe he didn't, but he probably did. Um, but it's a really it's a really nice moment. And basically reading this, um, I can absolutely see why this is held up as one of the all-time great Batman stories. I, pre- I preferred it to, to The Killing Joke, which obviously has its problems, um, although it does have a lot of good stuff in there. I preferred this to Death in the Family, which I wasn't a huge fan of. And I did prefer it to the two recommendations that Seb gave me, although we will get to those and I do like it. But this, it, it was just, like I said, this feels so much more sophisticated than its age almost. I was... It, it feels a lot more modern and maybe that's because a lot of the stuff that Frank Miller is doing in this comic has bled into comic storytelling since then and its influence has been felt more but it felt more I, I couldn't believe that something like Death in the Family had happened more recently than year one but it's yeah it's a really really fantastic book and it's uh yeah I would I would I would um, echo James's recommendation if you're a Batman fan you should read this it's um it's incredible and I'm sure most of you already have and you're thinking yep Joe likes this comic that we all knew was good but hey I did like it so that's great um let's move on now to the first of Seb's two recommendations which I think I'm probably gonna have to talk about overlapping a little bit so the first is Batman issues 455 to 457, uh, and these are from Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. This is from the main Batman line where Bruce Wayne is... He has obviously recently taken um, a young... Uh, now you have to forgive me because I'm constantly getting the names of the Robins confused. I think a young Tim Drake has just been taken under his wing, and so this is obviously a few years after Jason Todd had died... Dick Grayson's still around, I'm, I'm presuming, as Nightwing or as some other, some other hero. But yeah, so he's still kind of around. But Tim Drake has been taken under Batman's wing. His mother has just been murdered by a villain. Um, 
and he has ambitions to become a Robin, but he's not sure he's ready yet, and Batman's not sure he's ready. And so Batman basically just tells him, look, you have to stick out of this mission, you have to uh, stay at home, and you can't put on the Robin costume, and if you if you do, that will you know, that will scuppy your chances of ever being my partner. It might happen in the future, but it won't happen now. And then these masked men start random, or masked people start randomly killing people around the city, including, like, some 67-year-old woman. And all of them kind of say, like, oh, I just kind of did it on a whim. Uh, Vicky Vale is investigating what's going on as well, and Batman then starts to investigate. And uh, this is a three-issue arc, and at the end of the second issue, uh, it becomes clear that all of this leads back to Scarecrow, who's been orchestrating this, whose fear toxin has hypnotised people into committing these murders. But crucially, Tim Drake figures it out before Batman does. So Batman gets captured by the Scarecrow and is kind of being tortured by all of these fear toxins. And Tim has this dilemma of whether he goes after Batman man to give him this information slash save him and potentially give up the chance of ever being his partner or whether he should just sit at home and wait and trust that Batman will figure it out and keep his chance of being Robin in the future and it's a really it's a I thought it was a really strong story for that character because I've never liked Robin on the page or, or on the screen really I've never seen a version of Robin I like I've always just found him irritating and a distraction from Batman I think probably the version I like best is from the 60s series where he, he I mean, he's ridiculous and I, I find him irritating, but he, he at least completely fits with that kind of uh, universe. But other than that, I've never really liked him and I really didn't like Jason Todd in Death in the Family. Um, so I was surprised by how much I liked Tim Drake here and I liked the dilemma that he was faced with and I liked his attitude towards being Robin and that he didn't want to kind of, when he does eventually go after Batman, he kind of, he makes the best decision he can which is to he thinks give up his chance to be in Robin but he doesn't ever put on the suit he just goes and puts on a red mask and turns up to save Batman and says that he doesn't he didn't want to besmirch the legacy of Robin if he had failed which of course he doesn't and he kind of takes out Scarecrow and saves Batman I thought this was probably the of the two stories the one I liked the best um, of of Seb's recommendations. Um, I didn't think it was the better Scarecrow story. Actually, the second one is a lot stronger on Scarecrow. But as a Batman story, not least because it features Bruce Wayne, and as, like I say, the, all the Robin stuff is really strong. Um, um, and it was interesting to to read a bit of Vicky Vale on the page as well. Um, I really, I really enjoyed these three issues. Scarecrow is... <sighs> I think he's kind of more of a plug-in-and-play villain here. I mean, I like I like the idea he sends these fear toxins out and they, you know, cause random people to start going out and committing murders. And the first issue deals with that really effectively. Um, and I, li- I mean, I like the I like the Scarecrow's skill set. I like that his that fear is his weapon and that he's trying that basically to torture Batman, he just gives him these various fear toxins, which basically incapacitate him, and um, and, and that's his torture, is fear. It's not pain, it's fear. Um, he's a really cool villain. Having said that, I think his story is... Um, his The focus on him and his story is a lot stronger in Batman's Shadow of the Bat. And I think the reason that I didn't enjoy those three issues as much were because the Batman at the centre of it is not Bruce Wayne because this is in the Nightfall, the fallout from Nightfall where Bane has broken Batman's back. So John Paul Valley is Batman 
Um, and I don't know much about him, but he seems like a colossal douche here. He seems like a really bad Batman and a bit of a dick. And uh, <laughs> it was it was a bit of a struggle to invest in him as a character. Uh, the more interesting stuff is happening with Scarecrow, who is kind of con some college students into coming and doing um, a psychology experiment. He put up a poster saying, Students, earn $50 today. Volunteers required for harmless psychology experiment. I mean, that would have been my first red flag. If the poster says it's harmless, why are you mentioning that? I, I think it probably is harmful. Um, but anyway, he gets these students to, to do the experiment. And he hypnotises them, basically, into being kind of like Scarecrow minions, going around the city, spreading his fear toxin. And we get some Scarecrow backstory, which is really great, about him liking to scare... Um, that he loved scaring birds when he was a kid, and his other love was books. And so, kind of, he studied fear more and more, uh, and eventually found that scaring humans and then killing humans was even more exciting to him than doing it to birds. Um, and that ties into one of the college students that he has, he kind of has under his control, is the son of Scarecrow's first victim. Um, and we get a lot of the comic from his PIV rather than Batman's. That that personal relationship between Scarecrow and one of his victims is far more interesting than anything that's happening with Batman through these three issues. Um, there's also a villain called, oh, I, I guess a villain called Anarchy, who um, decides that, yes, he wants to take Scarecrow out because he basically, he wants to protect Gotham as well, but because he is insane, he doesn't do it through the most legitimate measures and decides that Batman is the reason why all these crazy villains have uh, sprung up in the city, so he needs to take out Batman as well. And that ties into the ending somewhat. I think probably is particularly appropriate maybe in the wider arc of the story that this this Fallout from Nightfall is telling, which is that this version of Batman is not a good one and the city needs Bruce Wayne back. But the, but yeah, the really the really strong stuff is all of the scarecrow bits and scarecrow's interactions with this kid and and basically these issues the the three issue arc focuses on scarecrow. The arc is called the God of Fear, and scarecrow has figured out that there has never been a god of fear. There have been gods of all sorts of other things, but he wants to be declared the god of fear. Um, so goes to spread it around Gotham. And yeah, most of it is him and this kid and explaining to the kid his backstory. Um, and the end of the final issue is basically Scarecrow ordering this kid who has been hypnotised into throwing himself off a roof, giving, the Batman, giving Batman the choice of whether he wants to beat up Scarecrow and capture him or to go save the kid. And Batman chooses to keep beating up Scarecrow, leaving Anarchy to save the kid. Like I say, that, that leads into giving you a clear indication of this Batman not being a very good Batman because he decides that taking Scarecrow out will save more people in the long run but is willing to sacrifice life for a kid for that. Uh, but what it did leave me thinking about was, God, I, I, like, I liked both of these three arcs but I, I wonder if there is a way to kind of... Well, there's not a way, but I, I wonder whether the best version of uh, a Scarecrow story would be to somehow match these two together so that that kid is maybe a young Tim Drake and so you could you could do loads of the cool Robin stuff with Robin trying to save Batman and getting embroiled with the Scarecrow and having all of his great Scarecrow backstory but for it to be Bruce Wayne and for it not to be this John Paul Valley and yeah basically what I'm saying is wouldn't it be a great way to combine the two 
the good elements of both of these into one comic? And the answer is probably no. But um, I, I thought that between these two comics, I got uh, between these two three issue arcs, I got some really strong stuff and some weaker stuff. Um, and I would have would have liked to have taken all the strong stuff together. But combined, um, they were two really good reads. I thought I got one really good Batman story and one really good Scarecrow story. And uh, and yeah, I, I think that this is, um, between all of these stuff this week, I, I've really, really enjoyed reading Batman comics. I never thought I'd be um, a huge fan of Batman on the page. But um, yeah, so especially after kind of the, the two ones that I read last time, like I enjoyed The Killing Joke a lot, but obviously, like I mentioned, it has its problems and Death in the Family, I didn't enjoy one bit. And that's supposed to be one of the, the iconic Batman arcs, but yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed all of this to varying degrees. Um, yeah, Batman Year One is probably a comic that all comics readers need to read. Um, shame it's taken me this long. Um, and the other two are just a, a two very good stories. Uh, so I enjoyed all of it, and uh, yeah, I'm a, I think I'm probably a fan of um, Alan Grant, whether he be paleontologist or a comics writer. Um, but that is it for this week Uh, don't forget that next week's Cinematic Universe will be covering Howard the Duck Uh, if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice and if you've already subscribed then please leave us a rating or review and we'll give you a shout out on a future show you can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com or as we're a film divider podcast at filmdivider.com you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email, cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.